Welcome to another episode of the Modern Facilities Management Podcast, brought to you by Strata. I'm your host, Griffin Hamilton. This is the show where I interview industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights into modern day facilities management. From hospitality to commercial real estate and everything in between, we'll learn what it really takes to succeed as a facilities manager. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Modern Facilities Management Podcast. I'm your host, Griffin Hamilton, and today we are going to be starting a four-part mini-series with Doug Litweiler and Jonathan Thomas of Building Maintenance Optimization Consultants, also known as BMOC. I'm really looking forward to talking with you guys today and continuing the mini-series, but before we jump into the content, why don't you introduce yourselves? Sure. Thanks, Griffin. Uh, thanks for having us. Uh, this is a this is a great opportunity, and um, just it's been awesome getting to know you, and also speaking with Lit here. So I'm really looking forward to this discussion. Um, so my name is Jonathan Thomas. I go by John. I've been in facilities management consulting since 1998. I got started when I was a co-op at Georgia Tech. I'm a professional industrial engineer. Uh, I stayed with that company uh, through 2015, um, and we focused on capital planning and facility condition assessment, really the grave component of the asset management uh, lifecycle, or the asset lifecycle, if you will. Uh, but I was uh, focused on the on other parts of the asset life uh, because typically um, I was assigned to asset inventory work. And typically in engineering firms, uh, asset inventory work will be farmed out to the low person on the totem pole. And I was that low person at the time. Um, but when I was doing it, I really believed in it. Um, I saw it. If, if we could get everything right at that level, uh, then we could do so much more with regards to asset management than just looking at the, um, the asset divestiture moment. Um, Anyway, getting focusing on that on the asset inventory, we could do so much more with the data than just focusing on the uh, grave part of the asset life cycle. We could focus on the life component. Um, so I started doing things. I, I stuck with the asset inventory. We started doing things like preventive maintenance programming. Um, I was using a lot of generic PM procedures that can be found on the market that really didn't provide a lot of technical value, but they looked good on a work order. Um, and I got frustrated by that. But anyway, uh, as uh, I, I was able to start working with the University of Michigan, who developed a very robust asset management pr uh, project, my company won it. I was a, I was put on that job, and it was an amazing fit. Um, they wanted the all life cycle and operations projections for um, several million square feet worth of buildings, approximately three million square feet. Project would go on for about six years. They wanted budget and staff estimates uh, well in advance of construction completion, and they wanted the asset management program uh, installed in their CMMS before those buildings came online. So we had to get all the asset data, um, develop the PM programs, and all of that information needed to be in their CMMS at building turnover. And it was an amazing project. Um, a lot of people left the company over the course of that time, and I was kind of the last man standing or last person standing. Um, and that uh, whole initiative eventually is what became BMOC. I stuck with it. Uh, that project started in 2002, went to about 2008. And we eventually, the last building we did for them was in 2019 as BMOC. Um, I founded BMOC in 2015 to focus on this work. 
develop good preventive maintenance procedures, um, develop uh, good asset management data structures that can go into any CMMS. And that's what BMOC is. We're, we're a tactical asset management support consultant. Um, we focus on the tactical first so the strategic can follow. And I will st- I've got a lot more to say, but I'm sure we'll cover it during the, during the interview. That we will. And, and, and Lit, why don't you uh, give a little bit of your background and how you and John met? Certainly. I'm a, a mechanical engineer, a graduate of uh, Iowa State University about 40 years ago. And uh, during my entire career, I've been involved in uh, facilities management, either uh, uh, directly or tangentially. I've been a campus utilities engineer, uh, power plant engineer. I was uh, uh, engineering director for two hospitals uh, for a decade. And most recently, I was the associate director for energy conservation at a large, uh, well-known Midwestern university. And uh, we were building new buildings right and left uh, during a 10-year period from 2008 to 2018. And one of the things we, I noticed is that uh, uh, we were a little slow on the draw to get all of the assets onboarded into the CMMS in these new buildings. And sometimes uh, we wouldn't get uh, a, a PM to come out for maybe two years after the building was turned over. And uh, wearing my energy conservation hat, I said, uh, you know, if we don't uh, maintain these buildings properly right out of the chute when they're brand new, uh, we'll never be able to operate them at peak energy efficiency. Uh, So I took it upon myself uh, to identify or see if I can find a resource out there that could uh, do our asset management programming on our behalf. uh, So we could just turn that program over to them. And I did some research and I found uh, what... John and his team were doing at the University of Michigan, uh, uh, doing a complete asset inventory, developing the asset taxonomy, developing PM procedures, uh, collecting O&M information on uh, the new assets, and uploading all that information into the CMMS. I said, man, this looks great. So I brought John to campus in 2014 to do his first onboarding on, uh, on our campus, and uh, it was a, a quarter million square foot lab building and uh, brought him about four months before the building was turned over. And I said, John, this is the, the task I've got for you. And uh, he delivered and uh, the first PMs came out the, the day the building was turned over. So I had uh, John do nine more buildings on campus. And based on our experience there, I really got the bug uh, to help people uh, develop and implement effective asset management programs because I know it's a big challenge. Uh, so I've been with uh, John now for about two years, bringing the gospel of effective asset management. Well, I'm glad that the uh, the two of you have uh, made the time to come on the show and, and really dive into uh, quite a bit of detail on asset management. And uh, this is going to be a little unique from what we've done in the past. Um, we're, this is actually going to be a four-part series. Um, so certainly appreciate the time and the commitment to um you know, explain your background and your experience uh, in this field. So, um, yeah. And, and John, did you have something to say there? I always have something to say. <laughs> uh, well, uh, well, I was just going to uh, indicate that, um, you know, Litz, I, I believe that Litz challenge is not uh, uncommon. Um, and one of the big issues with this asset management field is it's very subtle. Um, it's not something that jumps out to you. And when it does jump out to you, you think it's easy. I think that I think everybody has this tendency to think, oh, anybody can go gather data. 
Sure. I'll, I'll send my people out to gather data. Oh, the commissioning agent, they're going to be at the equipment. They can gather data. Oh, this, you know, my, my HVAC tech, he's got to go out, he or she, they have to go out and maintain this asset. What, why not just gather the model and serial number while they're there or something like that? And you, you fail to realize that what you're talking about in most portfolios isn't a single asset. It's 10,000 assets. And, you know, sure, this idea of collecting some data is a, is a good idea, but what about an air handling unit? And you say, okay, sure, get the data on the air handling unit. Oh, well, but I could have an air handling unit in this configuration where I've got two fans in the box and, uh, and, and I've got a humidifier and I've got this, that, the other thing in there. How do I do that? Oh, you, you're telling me that in order to inventory one air handler, I have to consider almost every possible permutation of air handler that I'm going to see in order to even get started. And, and then you get into this whole other issue of, okay, well, now we need to have this planning moment where we decide how everything needs to be done, what we're calling everything. If I have this zone going out and doing it, they have to do it the same way as that zone going out and doing it. Oh, and now I have to have someone uh, looking at the output and making sure everything is aligned and in, in accordance with what we decided at the beginning of the project. Now you're talking uh, about it being a significant effort. And then once you do get it right internally, then you're talking about bringing in a construction team or a project team that has to come in. And then you have to teach them all of these little things. And you've got one construction uh, design and construction team, but then the next building's a different design and construction team. Then you've got another design and construction team and you have to retrain and retrain this whole process. Mm -hmm. It is just, it's something that spirals out of control very quickly. And what happens, we see, it's kind of like a plane flying that stalls out. You've got the you've got the plane, you've got the design, but then all of a sudden you stalled and you're dropping and, and you're done. Uh, the project's done and it and and you don't know what to do. Um, and not many people know that there's a group out there or an organization out there that specializes in this and can help support whether it's your staff or uh, and and you know I didn't mean to plug us so hard there, but I'm here I am. Um, it is my life, so what am I going to do? Uh, but anyway, you know, to have, to have this idea that there is somebody out who can support is very subtle. Just uh, to bring uh, full uh, Griffin, uh, I'd like to, uh, uh, add on to what Don was saying about, uh, uh collecting asset information, you know, uh, being part of a university community, you always have access to cheap labor. And the temptation is because collecting asset information is easy. Just go into a mechanic room with a tablet or a piece of paper or, or a, a paper tablet and record model number, serial number, that kind of stuff. And gosh, anybody can do that. Uh, so we have access to all these students who will work cheap. We'll just hire a bunch of students to go in a mechanical room and take that information. Well, that's probably not the best solution because most students that don't know the difference between a, a chiller and an air handler or a pump. But the temptation is always there. Uh, so uh, you know, one of the messages we always like to get across is that uh, the task of collecting asset data is not easy and you need to have a plan. It actually is a science. So I just wanted to uh, reinforce what Don was saying about collecting asset information. Yeah. And, and we're plugging several holes. Uh, there's, there's many gaps in the engineering world that we're wanting to fill. Um, Lit and I are both certified energy managers. There's another part of, of energy management 
where an ignorance of asset management shines through. So uh, first of all, energy management is asset management, right? I mean, ultimately, uh, your funds are an asset um, and, you know, you want to judiciously spend that those money, uh, that money on purchase utilities. So you want to reduce that amount. Sure. Um, but you also have equipment that has to operate optimally. And to do that, you need to make sure you're applying good maintenance and maintenance costs money. The interesting thing I found in my career uh, was, well, first of all, in certified energy management, there's a whole section on preventive maintenance and its importance to ensure that you're not getting false negatives in your uh, energy calculations and projections, uh, making sure your assets are all uh, operating as they should. They've been maintained. They don't have plugged filters. They don't have non-lubricated motors and all these things that impact uh, the energy consumption. However, there's also this moment when an asset is being brought into the portfolio. It's being designed in the uh, conception point where you'll have mechanical contractors, they'll design these systems and they'll say, okay, this is a new technology and it's going to save you this amount of money um, and you'll have uh, in, in energy. And so we calculate it's going to be a eight year payback on, on this uh, unit. And when, but when you look at the calculations, they don't include the maintenance costs. And very frequently what we find is that some of these technologies require maintenance when the other technology didn't require any maintenance at all. And that and that, ca- that wasn't included in the calculation. So with an understanding of asset management and understanding of preventive and corrective and compliance-based and routine maintenance, uh, you can come up with better a better cost-benefit analysis or economic analysis for that new technology. Yeah, and, and taking a step way back, uh, because you mentioned corrective maintenance, predictive maintenance is now um, you coming coming to be a lot more common in the industry. And taking a step back and looking at asset management as a whole, uh, and you guys getting here, um, I, I guess give some context there, just your experience and your view on the history of asset management in general. Uh, sure. Well, so we're, we're here and we're, we're not claiming to be all knowing. Uh, we have a particular perspective. I came into the industry in 1998. Um, what I saw in asset management was there became there, um, in, in the mid eighties, uh, you had all the land grant institutions, uh, not all of them, but a, a significant portion of the land grant institutions built in the fifties and sixties. They were at that 25 to 35 year life cycle point in the mid eighties and uh, by and large. And you had this uh, moment where all these systems were failing and you had the deferred, you know, some might call it the deferred maintenance bubble in, in asset management. Um, back then the term asset management was more used for financial activities than for uh, physical assets. Um, and that physical asset context probably came in in the late nineties. And again, um, I'm not claiming to be an accurate historian here. I'm just, I'm just giving some anecdotal uh, perspective. Um, so what, when I came into uh, facilities that um, we were probably at year 13 or so, or, you know, 
between 10 and 15 years of this focus on deferred maintenance and how to manage all these renewals because the, the replacement of these systems was coming due and how to manage that. And uh, so the main perspective on asset management, as I saw it, was on capital planning and, uh, and renewal. Um, they call it deferred maintenance. Deferred maintenance is a misnomer. It's probably better. I like to use the term deferred renewal because if you're deferring maintenance, then your systems are just going to stop working. Um, but if you defer renewal, you're just, that means you're just managing an old system, even though it's not the uh, most economic uh, method uh, that you could apply, but you're doing it to survive right? Because you just don't have the funds to replace it. So um, you're, you're going to be maintaining those systems and, you know, good mechanics can maintain a motor. You know, some of those motors that were built in the sixties, those things are still cranking right now. I mean, they were built to last, but uh, they're not the most efficient things, but, but they'll still run. They're being maintained. The maintenance is not being deferred. Um, in fact, the mechanics probably love working on those better than anything else. Uh, but anyway, uh, I digress. So anyway, I think we're in this sea change right now from this capital renewal focus into more of a whole life asset management. We had in the 2000s, we had total cost of ownership come through in higher education, uh, an organization called APA. Uh, look them up if you can. They've got a lot of great resources out for any facility manager. I've actually applied some of their standards outside of higher education with success because they're sensible. Um, they're not, uh, they're a lot of it's space focused. They've got a lot of really good custodial grounds and, and maintenance and other facilities management uh, resources out there uh, for anyone to look up. There are other organizations too uh, that have great information as well, but um, APA in particular put out this total cost of ownership, which is a fantastic perspective. It's basically bringing the facilities management environment to looking at the total cost of the asset, which is a great step. Now, how to execute that is another question. Um, anytime that an organization gets together and they put together these uh, these high-level standards and concepts, uh, you still have to do a lot of work to bring them to your particular situation. Um, but, uh, but that's where we are right now. It's kind of the sea change into uh, a whole life asset management approach. But we're not there yet because... Uh, it, it, one of the reasons why I founded BMOC was because when we do, go do condition assessment work, I would request the asset inventories from my client's CMMS applications uh, in order to help support our condition assessment work, uh, make it so we're not doing an inventory and we're actually assessing the condition. Uh, unfortunately, with the uh, with the, the 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 quality of those condition assessments that I was uh, uh, acquiring was so low, gappy, outdated, inconsistent, incoherent, um, and and that was you know that was very common. It was very rare that we would get good asset inventories, and if we did, we'd have a couple of buildings out of you know fifty that were good, and the remaining remainder were not. Um, anyway, so uh, we found that these asset inventories were just in bad shape. And so the idea was that, well, someone needs to help improve these and it takes a lot of work to do it. But that's kind of the state we're still in. Um, and that was probably mid 2000s. I was starting to see that. I'm still seeing it now. I mean, by and large, uh, the at your, some organizations are getting better. Um, we're, we're starting to see a lot of the larger institutions um, 
get have asset management groups where they actually have uh, faculties assigned to positions on their organization chart. And this is a fantastic thing. Um, for instance, University of Michigan, um, I'm not going to go too much into the specifics, but they don't really need our services anymore because they've got such a robust in-house asset management uh, function there. And that, and they really are one of the leaders. And, and there's, there's several other institutions that are doing great as well um, that we've been able to meet with. And uh, so we're starting to see it come up and it's starting to become a priority. And, and these groups are focusing on managing the asset inventory. They're focused on planning and scheduling. They're focusing on uh, shutdown notification and special access issues and making sure the CMMS is reflecting the data. Um, when it comes down to it, asset management comes to it can be boiled down to closing work orders out with assets assigned um, and not just labor and materials. Most organizations do the labor very well. The materials, they're very sporadic and the assets, usually they're not great um, by and large, but uh, we're starting to see a lot of improvements. And it starts with identifying the need and hiring in-house staff to do that work. And you mentioned that you're still seeing these problems and you've been seeing them since the early 2000s, you know, so for 15 plus years, you've been saying, seeing the same issues, but it's getting better. It has gotten better uh, more recently. What's changed? Is it just the mentality? Is it the, uh, the importance of this data being forefront? What, what, what do you think has changed over the last 15 years and what needs to continue to change? Well, I think it's a maturation of the, condition assessment and capital planning focus because I, I, I really think the in industry got that has gotten that down pat. Um, and now they have with, they have this data and now they're trying to do more with it, but they can't because there's a granularity problem. A lot of that information will uh, when you're doing capital planning, you can group assets together into big clumps, big systems and that's not really, that doesn't work well for a tactical application. Uh, so I think what we're seeing is, I think it's a kind of a, a growth from the capital planning view uh, into the, okay, well, we need to break this. Uh, we know what the condition of this is. Let's break it down to its smaller pieces so we can manage it on an ongoing basis. Um and uh, Griffin, to tack on what what John was saying about the uh, matura, uh, matura, maturation, uh, sorry about that. Uh, in uh, 2015 or 2014, uh, the ISO organization uh, developed a uh, a new standard called the Asset Management Standard ISO 55000. You know that's relatively new, maybe you know six or seven years ago. So uh, people are realizing the importance of having an asset management focus. And I have a quote here or a, a section of the ISO 55000 standard that I'd like to uh, uh, read. It's, it's their definition of asset management. Uh, it enables an organization to examine the need for and performance of assets, asset systems at different levels. Additionally, it enables the application of analytical approaches towards managing an asset over the different stages of its life cycle, which is so critical which can start with the conception of the need for the asset through its disposal and includes the managing of any potential post-disposal uh, liabilities. And I want to highlight a couple of things here. Number one, a lot of organizations, for whatever reason, think that asset management is the CMMS. 
So when you go to an organization and uh, you ask them, well, what's your asset management program? Well, we have a CMS, and it does this and it does that. Well, the CMS is only a minor component of an overall asset management program. And the other thing I wanted to highlight here in, from this uh, uh, definition was the asset management program starts uh, during the conception of the need for the asset. So the asset management discussion needs to start during the design phase of a project where the design engineers are selecting the assets. Uh, so many times uh, the asset management discussion uh, is postponed until the building is turned over. That's way too late. And then you have to always play catch up. So I just wanted to highlight that from an overall uh, higher uh, helicopter perspective, that's what asset management is. It consists of a lot of different components, and it's not just the CMS. And we'll be talking about that in our future episodes. Uh, can I add a little bit on perspective? So um, asset in physical asset-intensive industries like uh, oil and gas, manufacturing, mining, transportation, uh, these industries have been doing asset management for, uh, you know, ever. I mean, we're talking... 30s, 20s, uh, 40s. So uh, I don't want to get too myopic in our view of asset management. We are focused on institutional. So hospitals, institutions of higher education, um, any organization that owns facilities uh, for their foreseeable life cycle. So, um, you know, big corporations that happen to own their facilities or campuses. Um, that's really when we're speaking about this deficiency in uh, asset management programming, it's really in these other markets. Now, um, now that's not to say that these asset intensive markets don't have their issues. We, we communicate with people that work heavily in those environments and they say the same thing. Uh, assets aren't uh, typically as uh, as uh, comprehensively and accurately inventoried as you would expect. Um, there's still deficiencies there, but at least the understanding of asset management, um, because you know when you buy a uh, a widget for uh, for manufacturing manufacturing process, you're not even going to buy it until you fully understand uh, the cost benefit, the economics of it, and you're going to have a much better maintenance estimate in that particular case. We're, we're speaking more to boilers, chillers, cooling towers, and roofs, and uh, windows, and these these types of things in institutional environments. Yeah, and, and that's uh, something that I appreciate you clarifying there. And uh, you mentioning the history um, you know, of asset management. I was actually reading the other day, uh, Henry Ford had that in his, uh, for, for obviously Ford in the 1910s or teens, uh, specifically highlighting the importance of uh, upkeep and, and maintenance on all their uh, manufacturing uh, facilities there. So it's been around for quite some time and it's been interesting to see how it has taken so long for institutions to think about it. Sure. And with that, John, Lit, thank you both for joining the show. I'm really looking forward to continuing this mini series and looking forward to connecting with you guys next week to go over computerized maintenance management systems. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Modern Facilities Management Podcast. Make sure to subscribe for future episodes and visit our website, stratumcommunity.com for more facilities management content.